you're about to listen to our program Eng. We don't know why, however we are grateful you chose to. We do wish to inform you that the views, opinions and overall morality, do not necessarily reflect those of the station, interview guests, sponsors or musical entities. If you should choose to continue, and we sincerely hope that you do. Just know, we tried to advise you against these actions and we are not responsible for any damage done to your sanity, morals or ideals. Thank you. Here comes the terrible siren. gentlemen it is time for another video podcast episode and uh, my guest this time is Kraith TV. Kraith is a streamer he's a game developer he's just a giant nerd and he has an impressively beautiful beard. Yeah. Hello what's up? Uh, so Kraith you wanted you messaged me the other day with a very interesting thought construct right? Uh, I get a message out of the blue. Hey, are you busy? I'm deep in GTA roleplay at the time, but I answer, no, what, what's going on? <laughs> <laughs> and uh, he drops this thing at my doorstep. And at first I was like, yeah, okay, whatever, you know, because deep into the GTA roleplay is Rooster. Um, but when I went back and read it again after the fact, I was like, holy shit, he's right. <laughs> and uh so that was the parallels between the 1983 video game crash otherwise known as atari shock um and the stuff we're seeing in the video game industry today and i gotta say i'm a little upset i missed this one so what brought it to your attention so this all started when I was having a conversation with our friend Padavar, and we yes. were just talking. Yeah, we were just talking about games in general nowadays, and he made a comment like, "Oh well, this isn't like the good old days of gaming. Back in those days, they released full games that were fairly priced and completed." And I had just finished writing an essay about the video game crash of '83, so I had to do my best glasses push up and go, "Well, actually, Pad." And I just went on this giant info dump to him. And I'm like, you know what? Odd's got to hear this. Because it's kind of scary how close we're getting 
to history repeating ourselves. And I would I would say in the next 10 years, probably we're going to see a similar crash in the video game industry. I'll tell you what, let's give them a little history first real quick to get sure. everyone caught up. So the the video game crash of 83, like I said, it's uh, was known as Atari Shock in Japan. It was a large-scale recession in the video game industry that occurred between 83 and 85, primarily here in the United States. The crash was attributed to several factors, including market saturation uh, and the number of video game consoles, available games, many of which were very poor quality, as well as waning interest in console games in favor of personal computers. Uh, home video game revenue peaked at around $3.2 billion in 1983 and then fell to just $100 million in 85. That's like a 97% drop. Yeah. The crash abruptly ended uh, what is retrospectively considered the second generation of console video gaming in North America. To a lesser extent, the arcade video game market also weakened as the golden age of arcade video games came to an end. So one of the big things that was a problem at that time is that there were so many copycats, right? It was just, it, it there was no real copyrighted material. It was, it was still really easy to get the, the source coding. There was a lot of industrial espionage going on where people would get pissed off at their, their uh, employer and steal the game code and take it to somebody mm -hmm. else. And then they would, barely change anything like you're going from purple to blue on your characters that's it but they didn't have some of the code chunks that were missing so they were releasing these inferior games that were just fucking broken right. and when the market couldn't stop that when the, the industry didn't want to stop that they were just trying to, to squeeze it for everything that it was worth you had six to ten different consoles on the market in in 83 uh variant degrees of success the top being atari um the the atari console at that point was i think it was the 2600 was was the 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 top mm -hmm. tier like yeah. you were somebody if you had the atari 2600 <laughs> right exactly you know, you start going down the list, then you might have kind of been somebody if you had ColecoVision, and you were a nobody if you had an Odyssey or anything else. Exactly. I was a nobody. <laughs> <laughs> I had an Odyssey in my house. Um, but you're right, though. We are seeing the similar thing now. We, it's to a lesser extent because there's there's only a few video game consoles really on the market you have your playstations your xboxes and your nintendo switches but the problem is is they're oversaturating their own market right right and then you had steam deck that came along and and steam went up in smoke um mm -hmm. or up in vapor um no, no, yeah, it was a, it was a Steam Deck, right? Which well, one? Steam Deck's still no, going. A, a Stadia. Stadia. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, Google Stadia. Yeah, mm -hmm. Stadia was just like, boop. and I have just... friends that had the Stadia on pre-order and were like, "What the fuck?" Yeah, just gone. Game developers didn't even get a heads up about that either. Uh -uh. No, awful. But yeah, so we're not seeing as many consoles yet. But I do think that might come in more in the future, especially with the Steam Deck success. I think we're going to see some other big players run at the home console game market. And I think we're going to see that saturation pretty soon, I would say. I'd be shocked if Raspberry Pi didn't get a handheld. Right. And 
I'm honestly surprised Amazon doesn't have any other rumors of something else coming out yet because I'm sure they're going to be working on something. Um, Prime Gaming is getting bigger and bigger, and I think they're going to try to take advantage of that too. It might be on the long game roadmap of theirs. Mm -hmm. You know, Um, Amazon doesn't, you know, make stupid moves per se. Everything is very calculated for the success and profit. Right. So, um, yeah, I would. It wouldn't surprise me. Although Amazon could look at it and be like, "We'll just make games instead of you know putting out a console." A console seems like a lot of hard work. It's true. That's true, and it does take quite a bit of money. But it's not like Amazon's really hurting for that either. So come on, everyone knows they're waiting for the musky, right? You know, the little handheld thing <laughs> that only runs on crypto. Oh my! God. <laughs> oh, that would probably be an unironic big hit in very certain sectors. Like, uh-huh. Yeah, it would cost you two million to get the console, though. You know, just one Bitcoin, so you can time the pricing of it. Doge. Yeah, there you go. One Doge. <laughs> In fact, that's how you pay for it. That's the name of it, and every game is called Doge. Yep. Instead of like quarters, you'd put in an arcade machine. You just gotta keep putting in Doge coins instead. That's it. And don't forget to play it in your Tesla. Yeah. Oh my gosh. But yeah, so I think. Barring the console thing, which I think we'll get there. Um, the other thing you mentioned, like oversaturation of the market. We've seen a ton. Copycat games. How many games look exactly like, like Warzone 2 does right now? How many Battle Royals are coming out that are exactly the same? But I think the big parallel that we can draw, especially right now, is false advertisement when it comes to games. And like, like the big ones. We think of like No Man's Sky and um, Cyberpunk. That when they came out were absolutely nothing like they were promised and the mass um, returns I think led to Sony I think that was one of the only PlayStation games you could actually refund digitally due to their store that's how big of a deal it was they actually took it off of the store because they didn't want that return number to go any higher I think that's huge but that kind of falls in line with like so when people six was kind of like that too yeah um, yeah, that's another one. I completely, I didn't even touch Fallout 76 because of the negative press. But yeah, that's another big one that just completely underdelivered. And when we look at the games that were coming out in 83, I think we can see a lot of the same stuff. Like people look at E.T., which is, of course, the giant failure of that time. If you guys don't know about the E.T. Atari game, it was made by two brothers within two weeks to hit a Christmas release time. And the whole entire gameplay was basically falling down holes. You had to pick the correct hole to fall down into to reach the next level. And that was the entire game. I have no idea what that has to do with ET, but that set a record. And I want to say like eighty percent of the cartridges were returned. And to this day, there was a landfill out there somewhere of nothing but ET Atari cartridges. Actually, they buried them in the desert. The desert, yeah, that's yep. it. Yeah, they they literally took backhoes out to this area in the desert and buried every single cartridge of et game that they could get their hands on every one of them that was returned or that was still sitting on a shelf somewhere they went in and they grabbed them and they buried them in the fucking desert and they uncovered that a couple of years ago i think too mm-hmm. and it, it was just massive it was this massive dig site yeah it was huge but when you do that what you're doing is you're really hurting consumer trust and i think that especially hurt cd project red who had Basically, the entire goodwill of the gaming industries, CD Projekt Red could do no wrong after The Witcher 3. And you could say they really pissed most of that away with Cyberpunk. I'll say they did get a little back with the new Witcher 3 
free upgrade. That was a great move. But for a long time, they were the laughing stock of the gaming industry. Mm-hmm. Well, I will argue too, in CD Projekt Red's case, I know for a fact that there was a lot of pressure that didn't need to be there on them to get the game out. You had your investors that were pressuring them. You had the public that was pressuring them. You know, I get it. There's games that I want to play too. Like I cannot wait to glitch my way through Bethesda's <laughs> space game. Trust me. I, I, I want it. I want it now. I want to be able to sit and play it. But I also understand that if I want to enjoy the experience, that takes time. Yes. And with both No Man's Sky and Cyberpunk, the 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 pressure from the fan base or for the uh, anticipation was immense. Mm-hmm. And they they were the people were literally saying I'm not buying it. I'm not buying it if you don't release it soon. You've got investors who are saying I'm pulling out my money if you don't release it soon. Mm-hmm. What do you do at that point? You're a game dev. You know good dev takes time. Absolutely. I think it was... I do agree that they were in a really hard spot. I think... So as a dev, I have to be aware of things like um, scope creep, which means basically, yes, this sounds like a good idea for my game, and it would probably be a lot of fun if I put it in, but is is it necessary for my game right now? And I think that's what ended up happening with Cyberpunk is they were like, well, we can put this cool thing in and we can put this cool thing in and let's tell everybody about all these really cool thing we want to put in. Well, now everyone's expecting all of those things that you want to put in. So you spent however much dev time on realistic dong physics that you could have put into making sure that you're not glitching through the walls. Come on. You know what I mean? Jiggle physics are important. They right? are. Absolutely. Real men jiggle. but i i just think scope creep along with yeah that that really business like pressure for crunch because nobody wants to experience crunch crunch is awful terrible but when you're in that sort of business with especially with shareholders and i do believe cg project head is a public traded company you do have to deliver on a timeline so i think really they should have meted out their expectations in the beginning and not over promised to the point where it was never going to live up to the expectations anyway. That's true. I do know also a lot of the times behind the scenes, promises do get made, not so much by the developers, but by the investors. Mm-hmm. And then those promises get broken pretty quickly. Like uh, you've got six investors who bet it all on the Super Bowl and lost everything. Well, now they see this development project for a game that they've got. Okay, well, we had agreed that it was going to take X amount of time, but I'm out of money. I need it now and why? Right. And that's not fair to the developers. You know, it's, it's, our friendship has made me see both sides of this fence now. Like Mm -hmm. clearly see both sides of this fence. And in the end, I feel the game companies and the developers, mostly the developers themselves, are the ones that are getting shit on. Mm-hmm. You know, because this is art for them, right? Everything mm-hmm. that you create is is no different than Picasso signing his name on the painting. Right. And you don't want <clears throat> your name attached to bullshit. Yeah, nobody wanted to put out... I'm sure none of those devs wanted Cyberpunk out in the state it came out in. Same with No Man's Sky. 
but drawing your comparison right there to it's the company's business mindset that kind of pushes these devs along i would say that's the exact same thing that happened with et back in 83. i'm sure the two brothers didn't want to release a, a whole falling simulator i'm sure they wanted more two times to dev it but they needed it in time out to capitalize on the movie hype and they needed it in time for christmas so they released garbage i think that's a perfect parallel between now and then yeah. just garbage and what it, it didn't do anything it didn't make them money I mean, I'm sure Cyberpunk made a little bit of money, but nowhere near the amount it could. And really, all you're doing is hurting your future business prospect, prospects because of it. Right. Because we're all aware that, and uh, especially in any part of business, but game development in general, you're playing a Tarzan game, right? You're swinging from one vine, hoping that it'll get you to the next vine. Mm -hmm. And swinging from that vine, hoping it'll get you to the next vine. And, and in this case, vines are games. You know, you make one game so you can make the other game so you can make the game you really want to make, right? Right. 100%. Because I, I, you do it with the game jams and stuff. You have fun with it. Do I think you wanted to make a bullet time game, <laughs> you know, or a, a, a bullet hell game initially? Yeah, maybe the idea had kicked around. But do you have a grandiose design of a game that you want to make in the future? Oh, yeah. Right. Absolutely. So that bullet hell is a stepping stone towards that giant mountain you want to climb. Right. Yeah. I just wouldn't be. So, yeah, they are like steps like that. I guess you can take it like that. But when you're having like a big studio like that, I really think you need to come up with like a cohesive. I guess pro not project, a cohesive outcome instead of bouncing between a bunch of different things that games are trying to be but really it's that it's that marketing aspect that comes with it i think especially that nowadays marketing is almost more important than the actual quality or content of the game because i could name you 20 games right now that probably nobody's ever heard of that are fantastic but because they're not bethesda or blizzard or yada yada or because you don't see commercials people aren't going to buy it but those same companies that are marketing to you and telling you buy our game are also delivering to you the crappy unfinished products that you're complaining about, yeah. right? So it's like the same thing as people are buying um, the X-Man Atari game because they're like, oh, it's X-Man. I want it really bad. And then they put it in and it's Laser Shoot Larry and, and Pixel. Like, <laughs> that's the thing. You can look that up too. I know. <laughs> I know it is. It's that's not going to change until we as an industry as gamers as consumers decide to vote more with our wallet instead of hate buying call of duty so i can go complain about how much call of duty now costs and we'll get the cost later because i have a whole theory on game costs but that it's the same game every year or fifa fans i know that's the thing every single year just we need to just stop buying that i know a lot of people who do not buy indie games and they don't not buy them out of malice they don't say i'm not gonna buy any indie games it, it just it just doesn't occur to them they don't look at it and be like all right i'm gonna go look for a cool shooter that's not call of duty because to them a shooter is call of duty yeah you know what i'm saying access is an issue too like i know there's some indie games on the marketplace for both playstation and xbox and it's sort of with nintendo but man, nintendo's like lock and key you know mm -hmm. um not everyone has a pc you know and and as much as we wild as that is to say because you would think everybody has at this point some sort of 
computer in their house not everyone has a pc not everyone has access to a lot of those great indie games because i'm i'm gonna bet most of the ones that you said you could name off that nobody would know you can probably get them on steam you're right yeah you're absolutely right but i also think that's actually a design by the console companies on purpose i think you and i have talked about this before but it is very very difficult as an indie developer to get a switch dev kit to Mm -hmm. test your games on And they can deny your application for it just to say, no, we don't want it. They don't have to give you an explanation or what you can do to fix that to get into it next time. They're automatically gatekeeping you off of that. But then on the complete opposite side, you have Sony, who puts any single game submitted to them ever on their store. No curation, no review process, just shovelware after shovelware, crap after crap. So switch players aren't going to the to the shop looking for indie titles because there are none and playstation owners aren't going to the indie store to look for them because 90 percent of them are crap and it's the same thing the 80s just game after game that was broken and buggy and didn't work and the dip but the difference was back then you couldn't patch a game you couldn't make it better after no. that was out it was, it was out it was out forever but i think that saturation of the indie market without curation is almost just as bad as having a completely gated um, community to enter your game with. It's a really hard, even ground to to hit. the same terrible coin. Right. And I can't (laughs) speak for Microsoft. I don't, I don't play on Xbox. Um, Uh, They're the same way. It's, uh, it's incredibly hard. I've known a few people who have had games um, and it is incredibly hard to get a dev kit from them. And the same thing, if you are able to get the dev kit you go through the entire process and they can they can say no for any reason mm-hmm. and they don't have to give you the reason you know and it's it's stupid like you're you're cutting off business i've never understood that you know because i'm sure sony takes a cut of every you know sale of game that they get right oh yeah absolutely yeah, uh, Microsoft can take a cut uh, just like Sony can, and Nintendo could take a cut just like Sony can. So you're you're really cutting down your market, unless of course you've got quiet deals with game companies, mm-hmm. right? You know, uh, they'll give you a bigger share of the profits as long as you ensure that uh, your player base or your consumer base doesn't have access to anything else yep it's funny that you mentioned that because steam actually does the same sort of thing steam will actually deny your application if you released your game on let's say itch first or like another another hosting site like git Mm -hmm. if you don't give steam the first bid and exclusive access they will almost always deny your game just because they weren't first so it's it's hard out there for indie developers to even get their products to people Really, and I'm sure a lot of people haven't even heard of Itch. Uh, I know we and I have talked about it a lot, but if you want a good indie game on PC, Itch is almost always the way to go. One, if you're support, trying to support indie developers, Itch takes a very low cut compared to Steam's 30%, I want to say. And they're DRM-free, which DRM is a really big deal in the gaming community right now, and I think that's a topic for another time, but it really should be more emphasize that drm free gaming is the way we need to go especially in highlight of ubisoft turning off games from their store yeah or the fact that you don't own the game anymore 
right flat out you don't own it i don't care if you've got a whole collection sitting on your shelf right now with discs in them and everything Mm -hmm. you don't own them and and that's the only difference with itch and i believe humble bundle does it also drm free gaming means you own it that's it they can't take it off their store they can't tell you you don't doubt that is your game unlike essentially any other digital storefront i could name right now yeah well, and what's wild is, is because the stuff we're talking about with 83, they would argue, and I say they as in the, the industry itself, the DRM was put in place to keep the the shovelware that you saw in 83, the garbage trashware that you saw coming out is, okay, now, we, now we've got a set of guidelines that have to be controlled and everything else, but really all it did is just allow AAA makers to give us shovel, shovelware at full price. Right. Exactly. And I think that's kind of the important part. I know we talked about a lot of people don't own computer, not everybody owns a computer right now, but not a lot of people own computers back in 83 either. And that did, it was the rise of PCs with the fall of gaming companies trust that acted together. So if we look at it back then, uh, computers were super expensive compared to game consoles. I don't have the numbers on me, but I think Atari was like a $400 thing and computers were probably around 12, maybe even more. But then what happened was gaming consoles started becoming more expensive and home computers started becoming more accessible. So losing the trust in the console industry, and since the prices were comparative, people just started hopping to PC gaming instead. And I think with the rise of console prices now, um, what the new consoles were like $800 more if you got the bundle, that's almost comparable to a computer that can run a lot of games. So the base price for an IBM personal computer around that time was $1,565 mm-hmm. for, for a base price for an IBM personal computer, whereas the consoles were selling for only a couple of hundred. Right. You know? um, so, yeah, it, it was seen that way because most people didn't see a computer in the house as being a tool that they could do anything with they just thought it was a game thing and mm-hmm. now if you give a parent a three to four maybe five hundred dollar price tag in the 83 versus a fifteen hundred dollar price tag of course the console was going to make its way into the house right what i find wild now is like why anyone is buying a console anymore right here's the thing my xbox series x cost me almost as much as my goddamn computer right right? almost and 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 you could you can argue all day well it didn't cost you as much i'm talking negligible difference right (laughs) right (laughs) you know the the what the next gen sees this current generation of console was like eight to nine hundred bucks a thousand in some areas right yeah um so you figure the next console generation is going to be probably twelve hundred dollars well, for $1,200, I got a motherboard and a processor that is top of the line for right now and will keep me going for the next five to seven years if I take care of it. And $1,200 is enough for a decent a decent level pre-made too mm-hmm. nowadays. Yeah. So I think, I think we're going to see like the same kind of thing because, yeah, the computers used to be really expensive back in 83, but as... Like as the 80s started going on, they started getting cheaper and consoles were gaining in price. So people just started switching. Mm-hmm. I think we're going to see that really again because there's 
I'm sorry, but there's no point to me in owning an Xbox specifically right now because anything I can play on an Xbox, I can play on Game Pass. It's not, I, I think, I, I, have, no. I haven't played Game Pass in a while, right? For the most but part, it's... yes. There's like one or two that you find that you can't do the PC version of it. Mm-hmm. But I, I'm, I'm going to tell you this, man. That since I got the upgrade in this computer, and started going full bore with the radio show and editing and video and stuff like that and gotten better with it. I'm at this computer more than I am at my console. You know what my fucking gaming console has become? Netflix. Netflix machine? Yep, yeah. mine too. A hundred percent. Hulu. I don't fuck Netflix. <laughs> <laughs> but like I play games on this now. When I'm streaming for GTA RP, I'm on my 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 PC. When I'm playing uh, Honey, I Joined the Cult, I'm on my PC. Mm-hmm. Most of the games that I would play on my Xbox, fuck, I played uh, High on Life the other day, uh, a few days ago, and I played it on my PC, even though it released for the Xbox. Right. So the only thing consoles really have over a PC, in my opinion right now, are exclusives. Like, like we talked about, Xbox doesn't really have any exclusives specifically from PC. Mm-hmm. Um, PlayStation does make a lot of uh, advances in that direction like the last of us yeah that's a classic god of war not my kind of game but i i completely understand the impact it's had on this industry like i get it and also of course switch has all of its first party titles that it'll never allow anyway but i think switch's functionality inherently almost puts it into a different category because i use my switch all the time and that's just for convenience that's just because i can be anywhere in the house and i can be playing it um rather than my playstation 4 which if I'm taking the time to sit down and play on my PlayStation 4, I, like you said, I'll I'd just be in here playing at this point on a probably superior machine. I'm not going to lie. Mm-hmm. Well, and the thing is, too, like, and I'm probably going to catch a lot of hate for this. I've never taken Nintendo seriously as a console or a game company. Like, I get, uh, yeah, Mario and the like and everything, they're a blockbuster. But every time I look at Nintendo's games, I'm like, these are kids' games. Like, I know they're not. I know better. But when I look at, like, any of the, the big things that Nintendo will push and then I look at it up against something that PlayStation or Xbox, like you, you take your God of War, you take your Fallout series, you put it up against Nintendo. Nintendo looks like Toontown. <laughs> right. Right. And and I've never like Zelda. Zelda was my jam back in the day. Right. The, the SNES and NES system mm-hmm. playing Zelda. That was my thing. But beyond that, I mean, I never really got into Nintendo's products. Now it's time for our Patreon shout-out. Big thanks to C. Weezy, Bryce Rogers, Justin Burnside and Zaldor of Zaldor's World Podcast for becoming a patron. Welcome to our holy mother and the throne she sits upon, who have joined the cult of Odd Plus. We hope you enjoy, our long, uncut and girthy, uh, episodes until you're fully satisfied and left shaking from laughter. For everyone else, you can join our Patreon too. Just head to patreon.com forward slash cultivant. Become a patron and reap the benefits today.
tired of incense that stinks? Motor City Candleworks is Metro Detroit's number one source for premium handmade incense, as well as hand sanitizer and now massage oil, with a wide array of scents inspired by Michigan cities and attractions. You're sure to find a fragrance that'll keep your love of the mitten burning all year round. Head to MotorCityCandleworks.com and order yours today. And make sure you find them on Facebook, too, for all of their upcoming sales and events. Motor City Candleworks. Michigan handmade scents that just makes sense. That smell. The kind of smelly smell. I have to say, I almost use the Nintendo for like a different sort of experience. Usually when I'm playing on my Switch, I'm not looking for um, a very fast-paced, high-octane kind of thing. I'm looking for more of something where I can pay like 80% attention to the game, like 20% of attention to like the TV or whatever else is going on. I can't stand playing... I, like Warframe or um, I guess I haven't really played Split. I can't handle the big, huge games on the Switch, but I like the small games. I love Darkest Dungeon. I think it's a fantastic Switch game. Obviously, um, I was raised to be a Pokemon fan, so can't really escape from that one. Um, but I think just being able to... If my Switch wasn't able to be portable, I, I probably also would never play it if I couldn't play it from my couch. I have this and that's that's that 80 20 you know like i've got like solitaire and a couple of stupid little games on here that mm -hmm. I, i'm i'm not oh my god i gotta be at the top of the leaderboard and be the best at it you know this is my my downtime so like i've got one of these i i've never seen the need for a switch ollie loves the fucking nintendo switch right like she's like she likes those little cozy games you know animal crossing pokemon mm -hmm. 
you know, stuff like that. And I'm just like, yeah, okay, cool. Here you go. <laughs> well, it's funny you mentioned the phone too, because a lot of people don't really seriously consider it, but the phone is a pretty big competitor in the video game market as well. Um, when you're competing for entertainment, you're just really competing for people's time. So playing on your phone, I, I play a lot of really good phone games. And I know most people won't spend any money on a phone game, which again, I could go on another giant tirade about that by indie games, but there are some fantastic games on there too. And that's all just competition. So when you have your phone and your switch and your PlayStation, your Xbox, which is also on game pass, but then you have your steam that you could also be playing on your steam deck. It's almost starting to sound like the eighties when you did have that giant circle of competition. You have too much. That's not good enough for what people believe they should have to pay for it. Yeah, but uh, I'm not going to take my Xbox or my Switch into the bathroom with me. That's fair. That's. I think we all know a couple people who take it too many places with them. I've known more than one person who would not put their laptop down, especially for a World of Warcraft raid. So, I get oh, it. man. <laughs> just sitting there with the bubble guts on the toilet, just... just <laughs> I need healing! I need yeah. toilet paper! oh man so you're right though i mean there there is a massive oversaturation right now with too many options and you know i think it's allowed us to to let the the industry that we love you know not die completely but it's 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 withering yeah absolutely and i think soon i think we're really as a as a gamer community i think we're just going to get fed up I think it's especially going to be targeted at AAA companies. And I'm hoping that we see an indie boom coming in the next couple of years. But video gaming almost died in the 80s because of this. Nintendo was the only one that saved it, at least in North America. This this big depression thing. It never hit anywhere else but North America. But until Nintendo came along, it was really on the back burner. Console gaming especially. You still had your Doom and um other games that i wasn't alive to play back then, coming out that were successful on the pc but console gaming was dry until we hit mario and it's because of stuff like et or x-man or the pac-man game that somehow ran worse than the arcade version yeah well it's because uh believe it or not for whatever reason uh, the home console was basically running the same kind of board but the the home console wasn't you know fast enough yeah that makes sense and at that point like why port the game in the first place money you know <laughs> money. Yeah. money that's it <laughs> it's, that's the answer money <laughs> sorry mr squidward <laughs> no but i i i hope i hope they can get it together i'd hate to see you know the video game industry die off completely but it's definitely killed my love for it, mm-hmm. right? I I was a giant gaming nerd. Like now, I'm I I'm much more reserved. I I won't buy anything when it comes out at this point. Really, mm-hmm. you know, I I will wait for three to six to nine months down the road, uh, or a year if not more, and try to get it at a price that I feel is reasonable for what they're putting out. Yeah, me too, 100%. I just, especially nowadays when you don't really ever know what you're going to get, I can't justify, especially pre-ordering. 
I used to love pre-ordering as a kid. You know, um, I remember distinctly, I, free, I pre-ordered the Super Ultimate Fable 3 edition or whatever, and it cost me way too much money. Mm-hmm. But I got a fantastic game that was complete and some beautiful pre-order bonuses, like a, a custom deck of cards, um, a really heavy coin that would help me make moral decisions while you played through the game. And n- for not one second did I think they ripped me off. And it must have been like 100 110 bucks for that package. And I, I thought that I got all of my money's worth, but I haven't thought that about a $60 title in a long time. Yeah, no, you, you're correct. Uh, I felt that way about No Man's Sky, but that's because that game was donated to me. So I got my money's worth out of No Man's <laughs> Sky. Um, uh, I did the same thing in the past. Um, Fallout 3, mm-hmm. I think it was. Uh, it was either, yeah, Fallout 3, the metal tin lunchbox. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. And I have it over on my shelf. But, uh, you know, I, I hear the term pre-order today and I, I'm like, why? Yeah, or, exactly. Or, or, oh, my God, the digital pre-save. Why? Oh, so you can download it. Okay, but when I buy it, I'll be able to download it. But you mm-hmm. can get it early. You're going to release it at like 2 o'clock in the morning. I'm going to be fucking asleep. Yep. I'll buy it tomorrow. Mm-hmm. They're not going to run out. Oh, but you'll get a new skin. So my character looks different. Ooh. Right. Um, to that end, I've I've actively wanted to pre-order like most of the last Pokemon games. I've been looking like I'm like, all right, what pre-order bonuses do we have this year? Work, you know, and I go to compare Target to Meyer, GameStop, like everything. I'm like, where can I get the coolest pre-order bonuses? And I'll kid you not, the last two years, it's like you can get these three keychains. Or you can get these pencils. How about a sticker sheet? I'm like, are you kidding me? Mm-hmm. Why? Because they just want your money early. Because even if, essentially, I think what they think is if you pre-order it, you're going to buy it no matter what. Like, you're just, you're not going to go return it. Like, you committed to it already. Whereas if you don't pre-order, then when it comes out, you might wait a week for the reviews to come out. And then they won't get your money at all. Mm-hmm. And I think that mindset has really allowed some of the more heinous things, like the 20 years early access games, milking you for money every week that never actually fully released. But all of the, all of that combined is eroding gamers trust because now I will never pre-order a game before it comes out, before I can read reviews. I will never do that again. Just it's different from when I just blindly trusted the, um, the fable studio. I can't remember. Like I just believed in that. Mm-hmm. but over and over again in the last five to ten years gamers have thought that we shouldn't believe a gaming company until we have it in our hands and even then and because bethesda will put it in your hands but uh, a month later release a patch that actually makes the game playable yeah or destiny 2 who had all that drama a couple months ago for sunsetting content like removing content that mm-hmm. players had played and paid for from an expansion pack i know yep. they got a lot of flack over that too well, uh, didn't the uh, the Marvel Avengers game too catch some shit for stuff that they were doing as well? I think something's going on with that game. I did read a little bit about it. I think it's just shutting down. I think it's just done completely. So yeah, I think they're going to be turning off the servers. And the game is not that old either. Nope. It's probably like a year or two. They're going to be turning off the servers. But on the flip side, they are giving you everything free i think if you're a current player they're unlocking all the paywalls for you 
So you can oh, just have at it. Sweet. I've got what two months to play everything and then never again. I think you're locked to single player forever after that. But yeah, basically. Oh, thanks for all these cool skins that nobody's ever gonna see. You know, uh, one of my 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 losses, one of the the games that I lost in a similar situation was Gotham Gotham City Imposters. Ah, that was a really fun game. So much fun, mm-hmm. and then one day it was gone. Yeah. No warning, no nothing, just gone. I'll even go so far as to say that's how I feel about Overwatch. I know Overwatch exists still in the Overwatch 2 capacity, but they basically replaced it with a completely new game. Um, Me and my fiance actually met over Overwatch. That's how we bonded. Like That was our thing, and I can't bring myself to play it anymore. I can't count how much money I've spent, how much time I put into that, but they completely turn it into a new game and it's so to me overwatch is just poof it's there it's ghost haunts me and it mocks me from my library but it's not there anymore yeah uh well you had mentioned uh gaming uh games that are 20 years in development never release you know Mm -hmm. Uh, seven days to die is uh, a good example of constantly in alpha yeah um there's one very famous example, and I can't remember what it's called because it's like star. You know, you buy all like these fancy starships, and they, they cost like a ton of money, and you're supposed to be able to explore anywhere in real time. No Man's Sky. No, I just freaking about it. Ah, it's gonna bug me. But yeah, it's really, it's. I guess I get it from one point of view because making a game costs a lot of money, and it costs a lot of money continuously. You don't get away with just throwing a hundred bucks of marketing and call it a day. But it's also just really hurting the industry again, because you're paying and you're paying and you're paying. And for what is this game ever actually going to get done? I mean, the upside with seven days is you're not constantly having to pay to access it. Right. Right. But I mean, they gotta be losing money, right? They've not released, released, you know, they, like it's just constantly, it's like a dev box almost, you yeah. know, where they just they're just adding 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 which i want yes but release the damn game i feel like it, now the early access tag has got twisted a little bit and it's almost used now as an excuse for a game's quality i guess so you can excuse the bugs and stuff and be like oh we're going to change it in the next patch don't worry it's only in alpha 0.03 but you've been doing an alpha for the last five years so is it really an alpha anymore or is it just a continuously evolving like you said just dev sandbox that you're just throwing stuff at the wall to see if it works now there are two games that, that were in development for a really long time that i i gave them money in early access well i didn't give the one early access money i gave the one early access money that was arc okay um i played a the a very 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 early access version of it that they dropped on xbox right when they first dropped it i i happened to catch it like within two days of them putting it on the xbox and i was like what is this and i opened it up and i played it and i was like this is fun (laughs) and Mm -hmm. i played it for about a month and i noticed that they were updating things because i would get frustrated because i'd have to download all of it again Mm -hmm. uh and I think we bought Ark for like ten bucks, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then you know, a year and a half, two, three years later, it, it when it released, 
it had gone through so many changes. It was almost like a completely different game from when I first laid hands on, but luckily it, it did so in a good, good trend, you know? Right. Um, and uh, when it released, I saw the $60 price tag on it. I was like, you know what? I'd probably still pay that today. Mm-hmm. And I think that's a good practice that you do see in the gaming industry a little bit is the game is cheaper the earlier you get in on it. Um, I was an early backer of Temtem, which is a Pokemon competitor, I guess you could say, that's now out on all consoles. And I got the game for uh, either 15 or 20 because I caught it on like one of its very first public alpha builds. And I got it, and now it's a $60 game. And I'm like, it, it's worth it. I'm glad that I got an early... Because um, then, I guess, you're showing support for the idea where enough people are like, yes, we like it now, so here's money to make this a more fleshed-out product. Mm-hmm. But the game has to come out eventually for that to happen. You can't just keep taking people's money and be like, yes, we're going to get there. And I think a lot of early access uh, games are doing that now, where it's almost... Early access has almost become a marketing design in itself mm-hmm. instead of yeah, it's a, a buzzword fair practice. At this point. Yeah. Uh, I, like a lot of people on game dev forums talk about like, why would you start a Kickstarter if you could just start an early access page instead? Yeah. You know, it's, and I think it's a shame that people are using early access that way because inadvertently, I think it also makes people less likely to back early access projects later because there's so many that never get released and people just feel burnt i bet that you could release an early access and all it is is a google doc explaining what your game will eventually be i bet you could get people to pay two dollars a piece for early access to a google doc that is just a description of (laughs) (laughs) oh it's sad but you're you're probably right to be honest and then i could just never ever touch that page ever again and probably rack up like enough sales at least to cover the steam fee and then there's my first successful game guys it's google doc simulator surprise indie hit the other game that uh, i didn't mind giving him my money was grounded grounded Mm -hmm. was a, a solid game um i waited until the night before they were getting ready to full release and I bought it and I got it for $15. And then the next morning it was like 45 and I was like, yes, (laughs) but grounded grounded is one of those ones that did development for their game. I think the way it should be done, they -hmm. gave clear and concise roadmaps. They set manageable goals and they hit their targets every time. And when they released something that, and they found a bug within 48 hours, they were working on a patch and within 72 you had the patch who are the grounded devs i'm gonna look this up real quick so obsidian was one of them oh okay so yeah so i think all of that really just goes to show you how important trust is between gamers and companies because when you're doing that when you're fixing when you're paying attention when you're hitting your marks when you're being honest then people will trust you with their money well, and, and communicative too. Being mm-hmm. com- communicative with your community and letting them know what's going on. That, that's right. a big problem I have. Is a, a lot of them you'll you'll hit their Twitter page and there won't be anything there for like six months. Mm-hmm. And I, I think that's just another symptom of how the big giant. I mean, obviously Obsidian is still AAA, but I'm talking about like the big big giants. I think that's what they're missing. And I think in the next couple of years that the lack of goodwill, all that. Um, distrust that they've garnered, I think it's really going to hit them. 
And I, something is going to change. And I, I hope it's going to be a turn towards exploring other things outside of the big giant names. I really hope we get that indie surge. So um, I can mention things like Oxygen Not Included or Clay and people will be like, oh yeah, yeah, I played them. And not just because it's not a Call of Duty or because you didn't see a commercial. And I think it's going to be soon. Um, I bought the last Call of Duty game. I played a little bit of it, but every single time I buy a Call of Duty game, which is probably once every, what, four or five years, maybe just enough for the nostalgia to kick in and not to remember how the bad last one was. Just so bad. It's just the same thing. I, I, I don't understand like games like uh, Madden, Call of Duty, you know, the things that we see just the churn of, right? Mm-hmm. The, the constant churn. And I'm talking your 2K games too and, and everything, sports, racing, you know, whatever. I don't understand why they don't just make a base game and just go ahead and fucking accept the fact at this point, goddamn Grand Theft Auto has been updating Grand Theft Auto 5 online consistently for the last 30 years. Mm-hmm. I, you know, I, I know it's not been that long, but, you know, still, they've, they've been doing it with new content and stuff like that. Create a base game for yourself and then just loot box the fuck out of it, right? Just, you want new players and you want this year's roster? Boom, give us 25 bucks. You want new maps? Boom, give us 30 bucks. You just just fucking go ahead and do it already because they're not adding new mechanics. They're not really doing much, you know, maybe mm-hmm. a new stadium with uh, a couple of new sponsors on it. But again, you could pay for that. Stop creating and putting out this. We don't need Forza 563, right? We just mm-hmm. need a Forza that you can update with new cars and new racetracks. Right. I think that's interesting that you bring that up because AEW's Fight Forever, their pro wrestling game to release, I believe at the end of the next quarter, is marketed as a living game where they're not going to have... That's why quite aptly is named Fight Forever. It's not going to be a a yearly release like the WWE 2K games. It's going to be a continuous roster, DLC packs and stuff like that. And I think it's going to be really interesting to see if that model works because there are quite a few living games like that right now that we can think of but they're also not very popular games i guess anymore i mean there are some giants that you can't topple like team fortress 2 or counter-strike those are never going to go away well i would consider wow and gta online as living games as well at this Mm -hmm. point and then (sighs) rainbow six siege comes to mind too i think rainbow six siege almost does your exact business model that you're talking about where the base game is quite cheap and then there's what 12 operators you start with and like 40 you can unlock or you can just buy the season pass and get them all and i think that's a really good model if they can figure out how to keep the hype of going because rainbow six siege was huge four or five years ago like i i remember i could not miss a competitive game because it was just fun to watch it was great and i haven't heard anybody talk about it in quite a while so i agree with you that we need to stop moving away from these year yearly full price releases because again you're just saturating the hell out of your own market and let's face it those markets are pretty niche as they are and we're even seeing like pokemon move to yearly releases and you're doing a whole lot of damage with dev crunch and not giving them enough time to actually make a game and whole sorts of other things but i really think you're just going to drive your own product down um we've seen success with it already because like you said you you mentioned rainbow six we've got dead by daylight that is consistently Mm -hmm. releasing new killers and new maps and stuff into the game that you can you know 
uh, purchase DLC wise and whatnot. Like, I don't, I don't have a big issue with the whole idea of DLC at this point, as long as it's continually adding to it. Red Dead Redemption and and even GTA Five, you know, both of them. And and the reason I bring this up is because I, I just recently read something about Six that makes me happy. There was no DLC. Huh. Red Dead Redemption, the very first one, had mm-hmm. the Undead Nightmare DLC. That was it, right? Yep. If you look at the GTA game that was out alongside Red Dead Redemption, it had at least two or three DLCs that they added to it. They never did anything more beyond Undead Nightmare with Red Dead Redemption. Why? Why Why did you let that game hang on the vine and die? Right. You see them doing the same thing now with GTA, GTA Online. They are just, it's their baby. It's, they'll give it everything. You know, this is the precious child that can do no wrong. And then you got Red Dead Redemption 2 that's the redheaded stepchild. They're like, yeah, okay, we'll, uh, we'll give you a new set of spurs or something. I don't know. I think that really just circles back to suits having too much control over the art. So I guess in that studio, when you only have so much dev time and GTA Online is making you buku bucks and uh, RD2 is doing all right, then I'm actually, I think this is what Rockstar did anyway. They actually pulled all of, if not most of their devs off of Red Dead Redemption 2 to go focus on GTA 6 and the online aspect. And I get that it's a marketing decision, but but not giving RDR2 a chance, really. Yeah. And you're telling all of those RDR2 diehard players that you don't really care about them you know you're not going to be updating their game so now when the third installment if it releases people are going to be more hesitant because they're going to think you're going to do the exact same thing that you just did for the last two well maybe because gta 6 supposedly is going back to the dlc model okay um from what has been coming out you will have the base game But, and they continue to, they want to keep adding to it like they did with GTA Online. Mm-hmm. But they're going to do it in DLC format this time, where you're going to get new cities, new characters, new cars, new this, new that with each new DLC. I'm okay. wondering if they're going to try and, and see how, how many, because every city is in a new state, right? You know, the, the way the GTA games work, you know, you've okay. got uh, Vice City, which was Florida. You've got mm-hmm. San Andreas, which is basically California. You know, uh, you had uh, uh, whatever New York was called and whatnot. Yeah. All spread out across the U.S. <laughs> well, now what if with each DLC, you get closer to being interconnected and now you have a giant United States of GTA that you can now run across. That would there be, that would be groundbreaking. Things. I don't really know how else to say it. That would change a lot. That would that would truly be groundbreaking. And I think if they could manage something of that scale, it would that might be one of the shifts in the gaming industry that we touched on earlier. I think they're gonna. I, I really do. A friend of mine and I were talking recently. It's like, wouldn't it be cool if like GTA sex, sex. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that would be really cool. <laughs> GTA six was set uh, somewhere in the area of like Las Vegas and, and like, uh, like the Mojave and, and whatnot. Mm-hmm. And RDR three is set in the same area. And you at some point work the two to cross 
over each other. You're in the same city, you're in the same town. Like, RDR3 could start, like, just before the Mafia took over in Vegas. Okay. And, like, a GTA game could be years later, and you're basically working towards the timeline that you get to play in in the other game. That would be awesome. I don't think they would do it, but I think that would be cool. Yeah. I Because I, I honestly, I like Red much. Dead Redemption's kind of like that more than you're at that thought of. I had a lot of fun with um, ones online. The posse was fun. Um, mm-hmm. The missions and the side quests and all the like little raids. Those were all really cool. I really enjoyed that. And I wish, I think that if they did do that, then it would give more attention to Red Dead Redemption at least. So it would only help really. Well, I, I've seen recently that, uh, so with GTA RP, 5M is pretty much, you know, the go-to source for that. There is Red M as well, but I guess Red M is working on pushing um, Red Dead Redemption. Okay. RP. So there's things that can't be done in our, our Red M just yet as as the client and the way they're structured that they're working to try and get. Like 5M is the big brother and Red M is like, hey, I want to play too. Huh. Okay. Cool. Um, but anyways, uh, Red Dead Redemption is starting to have its own RP community grow from it which is even cooler because there's less that you can you know like in in gta rp i mean you want a car you just fucking steal a car you know right not always a horse around that you can just easily steal (laughs) yeah that's really cool i hope i hope that gets popular because red dead redemption definitely deserves a lot more love than rockstar has been willing to give it well, that is if uh, they don't push themselves into a crash, if the gaming industry doesn't slit its own throat. Yeah, we'll, we'll see about that. It's not looking good. Uh, but yeah, I just I can't think of a gamer who is completely satisfied right now. You know what I mean? I find myself even sitting down a lot and I want to play something. And I'll just go through all of my libraries and my Switch, my PlayStation, my computer, and I'll just pick up a comic instead i'll just i don't know it, it doesn't hit the same anymore and i think it's because it stopped being about the art and about the storytelling and more about the money just like everything else is nowadays anyway let me ask you this negating pokemon or any series that you absolutely are attached to right mm-hmm. when is the last time that you were truly excited for a game uh <sighs> like for its release it's okay so i guess it would it would either be this is a horrible example but it would either be dragon ball z kakarot which i guess i'm horribly attached to that franchise so i can't really say that and then the other one would be jedi fallen order but i didn't buy either of those i was very excited for the release i just How never bought they, them though? a couple years what two let me see Fallen Order, I want to say, came out. I don't know. COVID messed up like my timeline of literally everything. Uh, Fallen Order came out in, oh, wow, 2019. And Kakarot in two months later. So, yeah, I guess it's been about a little over almost three years. It's been almost seven for me that there hasn't been a game and i was a notoriously picky gamer to begin with already like mm-hmm. i wasn't jumping on everything that you know oh my god you know this triple a game is coming out and we're so excited for it and i would look at it and go eh. yeah 100 
And when eh, started to happen more and more, I started to ha have to look at things and like, do I really enjoy gaming or has it gotten like, am I the old man on the porch now? Talking about the, the heyday of the games that I used to love mm -hmm. because there's nothing <clears throat> out now that gets me excited. And it's funny because if we look at those games that we love back in the heyday, they're they're not that great anymore. Um, I booted up my N64 a couple times just looking for that, you know, nostalgia feeling. And eye cancer. In my memory, Mario Tennis was like the epitome of graphics. Like Mario looks so real. And I booted up now and I'm like, there's three triangles that comprise his nose and that's it. What was I seeing? And it's funny because a lot of people nowadays... Um, they buck back at the price tag. You know, we, we're talking about $60 games and $70 games. If we put in inflation into the matter, that means I paid $110 in today's money for Mario Kart 64 back in 97. $60 and 97 is worth 110 of today's dollars. And when we compare the quality, it's kind of outrageous that Games are still as cheap as they are, look as good as they are, but still don't have that sort of soul, you know, life to it that made gaming how it was back then. And honestly, I think that's because nowadays we're all so hyper aware of being marketed to because it's happening all the time. Mm -hmm. So when we see an ad or something, we just immediately go, oh, nope, you're not going to market me. I've got this. Nope. We just rebel against that immediately because we can't even trust what they're saying anymore unless of course you're a sneaky bastard like i am which i've been advertising to you through this whole fucking thing both of us have been actually we're just not overt about it yes yeah, subliminal marketing is where it's at folks mm -hmm. get with it it's at least a nicer approach yeah. <laughs> right <laughs> jesus christ i don't need to be smacked in the face with a toilet paper ad feet over right over the head with it like, yeah uh, my argument too, and and this is just a side argument with the advertising and the marketing, is like who's not buying toilet paper, right? Why do I need to see an ad for toilet paper on TV? Is there anybody out there that's <laughs> legitimately not buying toilet paper? Do I? Who's not buying Hershey's syrup, right? Do we need to see a commercial for Hershey's syrup? I know oh. it's there. <laughs> it's funny because I'm, I'm laughing because yeah, the bears dancing with the toilet paper does not make me want to go out and buy Charmin whatsoever, but. Also, like maybe if I stop seeing so many Call of Duty ads, maybe I'd forget about it long enough to care again. I no. guess you know, no, nope. it's not nope. there. Nope, because all you got to do is open Twitch once, and you'll be reminded. Yeah, that's like Hogwarts Legacy right now. You can't open even if you don't want the game. You can't open any, literally anything, without Hogwarts Legacy just in your face. And I think that sort of advertisement just immediately makes people distrust you. You're like, nope, you're paying for marketing. I, the game must be bad if you got to pay me to hear about it. Yeah, no, uh, <laughs> but that's a lot of how I think too, is like, you know, if, if, if too many people are saying that this is good, I don't believe you. Mm -hmm. I have a friend of mine who does uh, uh, a marketing and uh, for businesses and things like that. And he had put up a question once and he was like, what makes you, you know, buy a product? Like, is it the reviews? Is it this? Is it that? And I said, what makes me buy the product is I need the fucking product. I don't give a shit about the reviews. Mm -hmm. I said, I will read reviews, 
but I'm not going to pay attention to your five or your one star reviews. I'm going for your three star reviews. Mm-hmm. And he was like, wait, why? And I said, because to me, three star reviews feel more valid and genuine mm-hmm. than five or one. One is just somebody who's mad because they're mad, right? right? Like that's it. They're, they're mad about everything. There mm-hmm. hasn't been a single thing in their life in probably the last six years that has made them crack a smile. They mad, big mad. I said, in your five-star reviews, I automatically believe those are paid for. Right. And I can't mm-hmm. tell you the last time I've left a five-star review. So I see five-star reviews. I'm automatically not going to believe them. But those three-star reviews, those usually are the ones that have the pros and the cons of the product they bought. Right. Those feel more honest to me than anything else. So those are going to be what I'm going to pay attention to when I've already made up my mind that I need this product. Mm-hmm. And I feel like it's so hard to get that in the gaming industry because you really have there is no middle ground. Yeah, exactly. You either have the publicists that are paid to promote and play the game that are automatically going to put it eight or higher, and then you have the user curated reviews that are automatically going to get one star bombed by all of the haters out there. So you have a game which I think is honestly I think Legacy is like this right now, where it's um, public reviews curated by like journalists is like an eight point seven. And then it has like a point, like a 0.4 meta score or something like that. Mm-hmm. So objectively, how do you find actual, like, well, is the game good or are you guys just mad and bought? Just like you said. And it's well, Twitch is the answer, to be honest. Watching gameplay, looking at the product objectively instead of with commentary is the way to go about it. Yeah. Well, I, uh, I saw a review from Wired Magazine right Mm -hmm. they're online of course um about it was a game review for hogwarts legacy and it said this game is terrible you know blah 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 it was like see why we gave it our lowest score ever i'm like all right i know someone who's playing this i haven't watched them play it yet but i want to go in because they've said that they're they're enjoying it let me read this review and see why the person is is giving it that. Mm-hmm. And I've seen this a lot in game reviews and movie reviews, and I'm sick of it. I don't care about your personal opinions, right? right? Yes, J.K. Rowling is a flaming... <clears throat> okay, I got it. A terrible mm-hmm. person. What about the game? Yeah, so that's, I think there is room for that social commentary. I mean, everyone has their own opinion about J.K. Rowling. I don't agree with her at all either. But don't but when put it in a review. Exactly, because now you're not, let me, let me see how I put it this way. The people coming to look for a video game review aren't not buying it because of J.K. Rowling. So if people are looking at the review, then they already have a semblance of interest in purchasing the game. And they're wondering if the gameplay itself is worth it. But when you go on a review page and you start trashing, um, I'll just, I don't even know how else to like paraphrase, but JK Rowling, um, someone who didn't have an actual hand in developing the game, while well, she does earn money from it, and I don't think that's good, you're hurting the devs on the review page mm-hmm. because you're saying that JK Rowling's views means the dev did bad work. And that's not true any way you slice no. it. So, yeah, I agree that a review page needs to be about the actual product. And the politics and all anything you want to say about something else that's that can go op-ed. on your 
Yeah, that can go on your Facebook feed or your Twitter. It doesn't yeah. have to go on a, a review page. Yeah, that's an op-ed, right? Write a separate article about your feelings. Right. But when it comes to a review, uh, when it comes to a review, keep it to the facts. What's the gameplay like? What's the graphics like? And don't let your personal opinion cloud your vision of what the game is because you know once you get that opinion and again we have to keep using jk rowling once your opinion is set about jk rowling anything with that thumbprint you're going to shit on you're not mm -hmm. going to look up look at objectively right at that point just don't leave the review at all yeah yes well i mean they're they're paid to they have yeah <laughs> it's just kind of funny but it, to me it just seems like those people that like that'll leave a steam review and it'll be like super negative all the way thumb down very very displeased and they'll write out like a, a 13 paragraph dissertation about how this is the worst game that they've ever played and then you look on top of their their message and it says like 1300 hours played and you're like huh did you really hate it then right did you really hate it because honestly game magazine if you hated hogwarts legacy that bad enough to rate it because of that why weren't your morals enough to prevent you from reviewing it in the first place? Don't facts like that just wipe you out? Napkin? No. Earlier while we were talking, you ended up mentioning, you know, uh, that you are a dev. And I, we know that, and you know the, the, the hard work that goes into becoming a dev and and being a good developer when it comes to gaming you know there's there's people who can string a couple of lines to code together and they're like i'm a developer and then there's people who actually build games um my question is this with the rise of ai being able to do things like uh navigate create art which we'll get into in a little bit I've been seeing chat GPT and how it's being used to create songs and mm -hmm. movie scripts and television scripts and stuff like that. And before we even get into that, you remember there, there was uh, the, the Twitter series uh, years, a uh, few years back where people were just like feeding AI uh different episodes of Seinfeld and be like, write oh, me an episode of Seinfeld. You yeah, know, and you or... get like that really funny script that came out, right. Well, mm -hmm. now we have chat GPT. And for those that don't know, let me explain real quick what it is. Uh, chat generative pre-trained transformer is a chatbot developed by OpenAI and launched in November of 2022. It's built on top of OpenAI's GPT-3 family of large language models and has been fine-tuned using both supervised and reinforcement learning techniques. ChatGPT was launched as a prototype uh, November 30th and quickly garnered attention for its detailed responses and articulate answers across many domains of knowledge. Now, I've seen it write commercials. I've seen it write songs. Can it take your job eventually? It can definitely help the job um i have seen developers using chat GT gpt to uh like get feedback on their game loop ideas or try to get um even more ideas like describing like i want to make this kind of game 
And then chat GPT will be like, okay, well, in this kind of game, you could do this, 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 and this. I've even seen it used to make preliminary coding. Um, you know, ask it to make you a player controller and it'll give you a player controller that has a couple wrong things in there, but the structure's correct. And you could tweak that to actually get it to work in the engine that you're trying. I don't think it's ever going to get to the point where I could go make me a RPG that encompasses, you know, leveling with different sets of skills and enemies. And then I don't think it's just gonna be able to blur out everything that I need. Um, I don't think people realize how building a game is less like crafting a sculpture and more like building a giant thing out of Lego blocks. Um, a big point of development is to decouple systems. So you want to avoid circular dependencies. I don't want my inventory depending on my character, my character depending on its controller, and then the uh, controller depending on the inventory. You don't want that circular dependency because if one thing breaks in one place, everything else breaks. So while I can tell chat GPT to, hey, can you give me a player controller to make it move on the X and Y axis? It can do that, but I don't think it's going to be able to tell me how to implement it in regards to everything else still working. So it's not going to take every variable that you already have to consider unless maybe you uploaded your everything. You'd have to upload your scripts. You'd have to upload your player level so it knew what was going on. And then maybe it could kind of parse and put the variables in the right spot. But I'm I think curious. it's more, I think it's going to give you the blocks and you're still going to have to figure out where to put them. I'd be curious to see if you can take, have it produce each block mm -hmm. and then do what you said upload those blocks and see if it can build the game from the blocks that you've created with it i have a feeling that though it can't do it now it's not too far off that it could well to me it's almost no different than just googling it in general if i were just to google player controller or um, a double jump function. I could find scripts. I could find people who wrote out that script, but a lot of time they will use placeholder variables or they'll use shorthand script, which just kind of demonstrates the idea. But if I'm not calling it the exact thing that the script I'm trying to implement calls it, if he calls it jump height and I call it max jump height, for instance, that won't work. And I'll have to go in and fix it anyway. So at some point, there's always going to be a level where the developer is going to make sure, even if the blocks are all placed, he's going to have to make sure they're still linked at least. For so now. We'll, yeah, for now. Um, so we'll, there is a spot for it. And I do think it's going to help a lot. And I think it's going to be really useful in answering questions, um, feeding it a script and going, why isn't my expected behavior happening? And then I think it's going to be able to tell you, oh, your variable on this line is wrong. You have to make it match this variable or there's something wrong in a different script that's throwing the issue in this one. So give me something else. I think it's going to be extremely useful. Don't think it's going to take the job because even if, even if um, this is a, so this is another thing that developers go through where everybody thinks they have this great, big, unique idea and that their game is going to be the one and they are so sure that they're going to be successful. They don't want to share it with anybody. Ever. No details because it's going to be stolen because their idea is so great that somebody else is going to drop what they want to work on to steal your idea. But what people fail to realize, me and you 
I could give you specifics. I could tell you I want to build a medieval fantasy RPG that takes place along a coast and you're dealing with bandits to try to free out the river, to free up the trading route, blah, blah, blah. I could tell you, I could tell you in depth what I wanted to do with my game. And you could take that and you can make your own game while I make my game. And the finished products are still going to be very, very different. So even if I feed the chat bot what I want, it's more going to be like a sounding board to tell me almost like a confirmation bias. Like, yeah, you could do this, but you could also do this. I think it's going to help explore possibilities, but it's never going to take the humanity from the art. I, I don't think that's going to be possible. See, I uh, this is one of those ones where I think I got to disagree with you. I think that game developers as a viable career is going to be put at risk sooner than anybody thinks and my only reason for that is we've been playing around with the the ai bot over on our discord right we've, we've got the mid-journey bot installed on our discord mm -hmm. and we went in there and we told everybody have fun just just go make shit right and uh, you and i talked about this a little bit because you would originally we're like yeah hey, you know it could be a useful tool and then like we got talking about it again you're like you flipped your you told me you flipped your stance and i was like that's funny so did i because <laughs> now i'm like wait a minute this thing's the devil you know mm -hmm. where i was i was originally like oh it could be a great tool for graphic designers and whatnot right i think it's the devil at this point because and this is where i see with the chat gpt and we'll get into this more uh in our next segment so you know don't worry i'm not gonna leave you hanging audience <laughs> um the more descriptive you are with Midjourney, the better it does. Mm -hmm. Complete down to art styles. And again, you folks will see what I'm talking about in a little bit. But you can mimic. And I, you know what? I don't even want to say mimic. Outright steal an artist's um, design style just by mm -hmm. using Midjourney. There, there were a couple of ones that I did. Uh, give me something in the form of DC Comics. Give me something in the form of the heavy, heavy metal graphic novel. Give me something that looks like a Norman Rockwell painting. Right. And it did every single time. It took this artist's work and copied it mm -hmm. and made something they never would have made, they never did make, you know, but it looks like it and given enough time and enough space this could be passed off as this artist's work because let's let's be honest people are stupid right you know oh, yeah. it, they've got very short memories and they're not that bright especially as time goes on mm -hmm. um i don't think it's right and i think i think at some point i could go into just me with the, the minimal knowledge that i have i think i could go into chat gpt or something like it down the road and say i want i want a first person shooter that looks like it was made by bethesda that has this 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 give it all of the variables and i'm pretty sure it would spit me out a game a playable game and i that i know that's the big thing is is it playable and i worry that we're gonna be dependent on ai and a lot of the jobs that take skill and creativity are going to be gone 
I mean, there's definitely a reason why the X-Men's biggest fear was of an advanced AI. I mean, <laughs> it is really terrifying to think about that your work can be used to really advance this without you knowing about it. The only difference I can really see with art and coding is we developers have been stealing each other's work as long as the field has existed. Um, that's nothing new per se. You can go in, there's a ton of games where they've been cracked where their entire library is available that you can just you can just go look at any time. You can see exactly how everything was scripted. You can see how the levels were built. You can see all of that. And you could you could go remake Dead Space 1 if you wanted to. You really could. Uh, I, I think it's going to be hard to take the skill away from it, though, with chat. Because even when I was a brand new developer, I could download projects where a lot of things were already working for me. Like it already had a movement system and an attacking system and stuff. But I couldn't fix it. I couldn't fix if anything went wrong. Um, if I didn't like a very specific detail, I didn't know how to change it. And maybe chat will be advanced enough where you can say like, hey, I'm, I'm assuming that the person using this would have a zero knowledge of a developer and not a developer using it to enhance their own workflow, which I think is a great thing that they could yeah. do. But if you're just going in there and you want to adjust like the jump height or the fire rate or something in even if chat gave you all the tools to do that, would you be able to do it? I'm not sure. And I think at some point that would become unsustainable as you're trying to change more or do more and add more though. Cause we talked about scope and feature creep as well. Mm -hmm. I think that would be a very, very unstable tower. The more AI blocks you put into it. And then even after release, if you found a bug or something and you were like, I, I didn't build it. So I think we might see a flood of, I'll say lower quality games that are made by some more advanced AI, but I don't really see an inherent difference between that and things like visual engines or RPG maker that don't require coding. It just requires you to like drag the blocks in. Like you want them to attack. So there's an attack block and then that attack block actually devolves down into a readable script. But for someone who doesn't know coding, you can just drag it over. So I guess for now, I see it as a tool. I do think for artists, it is a little bit more worrying because they can, like you said, just steal your art. If you've uploaded anything to Insta or uh, Facebook or anything, it's, it's up for grabs. And there's really nothing you can do about it. The only th okay thing that I can see is I don't think people... I don't think people who are using the AI bots for art would have paid an artist... Anyway, now I've used uh, Midjourney and things. I like using it for concept art, um, but I use that concept art to show to a real artist, all right, this is the thing I'm going for. This is the vibe I'm going for. But I am afraid that one day it is going to be advanced enough to eliminate a lot of that. And even like you said, it's easy. Um, I went in there and it was very easy for me to get a render of uh, a medieval fantasy character with a very particular sword with a very particular background with a very particular vibe um it was super easy to get that and if if i didn't need a game model if i didn't need something really high in graphic fidelity if i was just looking for like a headshot you know a character portrait i could i could use that and it would be okay mm -hmm. well yeah i mean i there's some there's some stuff that i've created that nobody saw because i went in when nobody was in the discord and was like boop, 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 
and then just deleted everything. There's stuff that I'm going to use for thumbnails and shit later on mm -hmm. because it's it's a time saver for me, you know, because we both know I can create damn near anything I want to create. Yeah. Uh, you know, I, I'm, I'm, I'm pretty adept with graphic design and it comes down to a matter of, okay, I'm streaming to Twitch. I'm prepping for an interview or a radio show. I'm prepping for this. You know, I, I've, I've got to, to, to edit this and make that and create that. And if I can take one task mm -hmm. off my plate, and give it to a robot to do. I'm I'm torn because like it's up to personal responsibility, I think, at that point. And we'll talk more about this in the next segment of sure. But it, it, it's personal responsibility then of the the person that's creating, right? Mm -hmm. Do you put in that I the Norman Rockwell? Or do you yeah. not put in an artist's style or anything like that and you just let it go to see what happens? You know, I would prefer to see more people not going like, hey, I want it to look like Grant Morrison did it, you know, or I want it to look like uh, Picasso painted it or things like that. There's a little personal responsibility that we're going to have to start uh, addressing right out of the gate. Because otherwise, we're going to get into some very sticky situations. Mm -hmm. And even though developers and coders and whatnot freely steal or exchange or however, there doesn't that doesn't necessarily mean something like, um, all right, there's a lot of coding that goes into Unreal's engine, right? Mm -hmm. A lot of fucking coding. Unreal is like the top tier at this point. I think Unity is coming close behind them trying. Yeah. But the Unreal Engine is is it. Like how many games do you load up that have Unreal Engine and they're fucking getting into the movies now too. Yep. Mm -hmm. Well there is hours upon hours upon hours of coding. There is probably teams of hundreds blood sweat and tears in that coding that has gone into it. What if you can use a chat, uh, like an AI program, to write an uh, an an render engine, just like that? Mm -hmm. That would be a really big game changer because we joke around a lot that if you want to build an engine, go build an engine. But if you want to build a game, use Unreal. Like mm -hmm. building an engine is no joke. That is an entire different discipline that requires such an integral base knowledge of programming and I kind of feel two different ways about this because you're right. There are a lot of people that pour their entirety of themselves into making unity and making um, unreal what it is, but also a customizable engine that you didn't have to build yourself to delete a lot of the bloat that comes with these mainstream engines that you can use on your own terms. Does It does sound appealing. I'm not going to lie. So yeah, I think you're right. It's it's going to be scary. Um, I think we're going to have to adjust to it as artists, really. Because for instance, like I said, I don't really mind using AIs for concept art or just to get an idea down. I don't think I would put those in my game. You know what I mean? Because at that point, I do feel like I'm using stolen content for my own profit because, you know, you know whose stuff got pulled from that? But the scary thing is that that's a moral decision and there's not a lot of room for morals in business. Right. There should be, though. 
It should be. Like, just because there, it isn't there, it doesn't mean it can't be injected into it, you know? It, 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 mm-hmm. I don't know. That's a topic for a whole different show, yeah. let me tell you. I do want to say, Chris, thank you for joining me um, and, and taking the time out. I, I'm glad we were able to get your topic out and you were willing to sit through part of my next segment. Well, <laughs> pleasure to be here, man. I'm always do happy. Me, do me a favor, man. Tell them where they can find you. Uh, Crave TV, anywhere. Itch.io, Twitch, YouTube, Crave TV. That's it. If you'd like to hear the rest of the episode, please head to our Patreon at patreon.com forward slash cultivod. Otherwise, thank you for your continued support.